0: Welcome to Seat Time, where we drink beer and talk about all the happenings with motorcycles. All right. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, episode 60. I'm trying to bring in as much energy as possible. I feel a little under the weather. I don't know if it was a trip to Germany. Maybe it was something that Jason Hooper gave me when we pushed our beds together. I'm not too sure. But the good thing is that we could talk about it tonight because Jason Hooper is my guest. Jason Hooper, how is your evening going, kind sir?
1: Hold on, let me get it right. Yeah, woo! There we go. That's what I'm talking
0: about. That's Diet Coke in there, just for you, you ladies at home. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I oh, long, but it's it's the core light. It's going good, man. It's going real good. Um, can't complain. How's I'm a little, I do a little yeah. jet lagged, you know. Uh. uh it was a it was a gnarly trip this 6 days a lot of a lot of working and we couldn't help ourselves but drink the beer you know the whole time we were there so uh you know I think I'm paying the price a little bit now.
0: Yeah, I don't know if hydration was ever part of what we tried to accomplish but I mean there's water in beer so I figured at some point in time our body had to be okay with it, right?
1: Yeah, that philosophy I, I follow that too and it really works out. But yeah, that I was a That was the game plan we went with, and we made it out alive. Uh,
0: Absolutely, yeah. We're here, we're talking about it, so it's a good time. So we can jump right in. ISDE, I have to say, that was my first trip to the ISDE. I know that was your first trip. I had a phenomenal time, um, not just because of the fact that I had good company. turns out you're not that bad of a guy to hang out with. Who knew? But uh, it was really neat to meet all the people we got to meet. Obviously, hanging out with you and Shan Moore. I learned so much uh, kind of moving forward with just kind of Learning, being a media guy, all that jazz. But what were some of the, the, like, your big takeaway points from the trip, you know, since it was your first ISDE as well?
1: The European dudes are way faster than I thought. That was probably, I think, I mean, I got to see Juha and David Knight race the GNCCs, you know, up close and personal. And it's just different, you know, it's just, you don't get to see that raw speed because there's, there are three hour races. And the speed that those guys go just boggles my mind. You now we talked about this a lot while we we're driving around we, you know like the first day we were, it was the last test I remember Brownie was the first guy to hit that grass track and I would have bet you a thousand dollars that there's no way you could go any faster than he went and he got smoked I was <laughs> yeah. like, so here's a guy that's an outdoor national champ right works champ one of the baddest dudes to ever throw a leg over a dirt bike and these these guys are beating him by a lot and I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me Was like those guys are bad bad dudes and they deserve a lot of respect for sure yeah, it's
0: funny that you mentioned that grass track one of the things that I would love to be able to see because when you're in those grass track situations you're kinda like watching one guy hit this turn and then you get to watch another guy hit that turn or maybe the one right after it so you're kinda like oh he might have gone just a hair bit faster, but even if he was a tenth of a second faster in that one turn, and he does that every turn, you know, it starts to accumulate and add up, and obviously they went faster the whole lap. So that's why, like, if we could find a way to, to like overlay, you know, like a time lapse of them going through that kind of a track, so to you could actually see where see them, they were, where they were making up, up that time, yeah. or maybe where their lines were different. You know what I mean? We should Google Map the next ISDE. That's that's <laughs> maybe that's the way we should go but I, I think it would be you're spot on the way that those Europeans ride I've, I, I kind of know they're faster in the sense because they always do really well at the ISDE and a lot of the World Enduro Championships there's not a lot of Americans that go over there compete and do phenomenal but you're right having been able to be right next to them and listen to their bikes as they just slew dust all over the place it was it was quite insane and those guys can haul on a bike so do you think that we should try to get a couple of them over for some GNCC's?
1: Well, I think it would be good to bring them onto our turf because they're not going to just absolutely dominate straight away. You know, even u took a little time to get going, I think, right. but um, I don't know. It depends on who you want to ask as a, <laughs> as a media guy. Yeah, I think it would be awesome. If I was a racer, I don't know if I'd be real pumped about it, you know, but uh, you know, it's tough because a lot of those guys, you know, they have that... Like, you know, Obear and and all these guys that race GPs, so they're not afraid to like bang bars or anything like that. So um yeah, it would be interesting to see. I know, you know I've heard rumors that, you know, Johnny O'Bear wants to come over that Matty Seistola, the Finnish guy, he wasn't there at the six days, but he's a World Enduro guy. Like there's people that wanna come, so it'd be pretty cool. It's always good to get a little international flavor, you know.
0: A little outside perspective almost. Well um, Okay. Not only was this the first ISD that you and I have attended, but I think that this, well, for myself, this was kind of my first chance to, I guess, be in the pits and kind of be able to hear, overhear, you know, people talking about, you know, how things are going opposed to just like what they tell the media. You actually get to kind of hear some behind the scenes type stuff. That was really interesting, different kind of perspective. Um, But what was your take on the American team, uh, I mean, we could we could kind of talk a little bit about both, if you, you know, all three teams if you want. Some of the club riders, all that, or just, you know, what? Yeah, what are your thoughts?
1: On, on their performance, like how they did, or yeah, I mean, did like, what their, how they were in the pits, or what? Yeah,
0: no, I think, okay, so Team America, USA this year, there was a lot of expectations because of how well Kurt Caselli did last year. He, him winning the E2 class. So they were going to try to take that momentum, I think, uh, kind of make him the honorary team captain. They were bringing in Antti Kalonen, probably said that wrong, but as a team manager from KTM, they really wanted to put forward an effort. So I think, did we maybe jump the gun going, ooh, they've put in this extra effort you know, the way Kurt did, they're going to do it this year, or should we have been more, hey, this is probably more of a building year, next year might even be a building year, you know, so with those expectations and how we know they did, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, well, I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? right? Uh, having never been to a six days, before the six days started, I was I was one of those guys thinking, <clears throat> yeah, this is going to be awesome this is going to be the best team we've ever had they're going to go over there and they're going to do really really well having gone and <laughs> and seen what we're up against i i don't i don't really know if it matters what team we put together for this year the end result was going to be the same give or take a position or something you know nobody was going to nobody was going to beat the french guys this australia team was really really tough and the italians were really good so i mean for got you know like Charlie it was being his first six days he was killing it in the beginning, but you know he ran into some problems. So I think realistically yes, there was too much expectations and too much pressure for for that team and I don't know if maybe some of the guys didn't ride to their capabilities because of that. I don't know. you know there was a lot of hype going into the into the race and I think it was probably yeah maybe a little bit too much after seeing what they were up against. On in a format that they're you know none of those guys are familiar with, and then you know terrain that guys like you know Kurt and Taylor and Destry never really get to ride. You know it was it was closer to some East Coast terrain, but the tests were you know the grass track stuff is stuff that our guys don't ever ride. You know on tires that they don't ever ride on. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables, man. You know for for someone that has never been there, I didn't really completely understand it, and now I do, and now I understand why we've never won it yeah you know it, it's hard you know we're we're going over there and we're playing their game on their terrain with you know bike set up and stuff like that that's the you know that's theirs that's their deal you know, got world enduro guys that race you know they're racing the same bikes they race every weekend with the same tires in the same format you know obviously the transfers and stuff they don't do that at a world enduro but the special tests and yeah. stuff is exactly the same it's it's going to be a tall order for, for us to put together an American team that can, that can win, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that yeah, I took away from a post on Digital Off-Road uh, today was the one with Andrew DeLong, um, and, and he you know, made it very clear that he by no means wanted to jeopardize how he could do at the six days, um, you know, thinking, oh, I need to stay healthy for my you know, chance at an XC2 championship. But at the same time, he knows that that is lingering in the back of his mind. So when this is something that this well, this is not, you know, our team's job, uh, not, not that it is for the uh, some of the European teams, but they're much closer to home. They're not going to, you know, wind up coming home and have to get stuck in a cast and not be able to race and things like that. So I, I think for us to be able to say two, three years down the road, we need to have a team together that's going to do this. They almost need to be kind of together now, training, figuring that kind of stuff out, and then maybe having that off year so that they can concentrate on the ISTE. Would that ever actually happen? Probably not. Probably you know, not. Yeah, but I
1: mean, I think, you know, kind of what you're, you're talking about, Andrew and Thad, and these guys that are getting over there on the junior team, doing really, really well, is only going to help our oh, chances down the down the line. You know what I mean? Now imagine how well would a, would Charlie Mullins have done if this was his fourth six days? You know, if he had raced a bunch of them on the junior team and he and it wasn't such a new experience. You know, I think I think it's good getting these guys, and I, and I hope that's one of the one of the things that happens with Auntie, you know, running the team now is that we can. You know, the junior team is supposed to be a developmental team, right? right? That's the idea. You know, it's like they develop these guys to make them. You know, it's a little. You know, maybe it's a little late for some of the other guys. To, to have that winning team, maybe it's going to take five years, maybe it's going to take eight years, but maybe it's going to be you know maybe DeLong will be on that team that finally ends up winning one. I I don't really know, but I think if we can get guys like Thad and Andrew and Jesse and Travis and like you know you know the Caleb Russells and you know all these younger you know Stewart, I wish I really wish he would have been there. You know, and his little brother Grant, and you know Rich Lafferty's son, and all these kids that are super young but are freaking rippers. Like we need to get those guys on the junior team. ASAP. That's my thought. Yeah. That's much, you know, because it's tough to have a rookie on a trophy team and expect them to, to perform. And, to, you know, because I don't think any, you know, I, I don't think there's any way of understanding what you're in for unless you're there, for sure.
0: Yeah. And actually, that's a very good point. And I think that... What, with what you did this year, one of the things that you went over there to do was to cover the six days in your fashion. You wanted to do your videos of the six days. You know, there have been coverage in the past, just not what you wanted to see in the way that you like to do it, so that's what you did this year. And then, obviously, that was, it was way more than a hit. I think that you knew that it was going to do a good job, but it did, I would say, a phenomenal job numbers-wise, if you were to play the numbers game. But what I think as well that that did is it, that gave a lot of insight to people that didn't have a clue what was going on over there. They've, if you're in the off-road world, there are some people that haven't even heard of that of the ISCE and the Six Days and things like that. So with what you were able to do and the, the reach that you have with Digital Off-Road and then just people that you know in the industry, I think that the knowledge now is going to be out there a little bit more. And that the support hopefully will be there as well, and that more people will be able to be involved and really, maybe support the younger riders that you're saying to get into that to that junior team and then grow into you know, a one hell of a kick-ass trophy team.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. That you know, I went for selfish reasons, and you know, like I've, I've always wanted to go, and I've you know, I've wanted to go the last couple of years and wasn't able to make it happen, and uh, you know. I just wanted to see this stuff firsthand because I've heard about it for so long. You know, I was lucky enough to work at um, Racer X and Racer Productions. With Jeff Russell, who's you know won a bunch of gold medals, so I got to hear about it from him. And I spent some time with Randy Hawkins and Alan Rant and Mark Hyde and these guys. And I've heard some awesome stories about the Six Days, and I've always wanted to go and check it out. And it kind of bummed me out because it seemed like you know back in the day, before we became like the motocross powerhouse of the world, you know, and like dominated the motocross the nations until this year, obviously, you know, um, you know, the ISD used to be kind of the thing, you know, that pe- you know people were kind of into it, and, you know, and um, people paid attention to it in America, and that's kind of fallen off the map, you know, and I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know how long it'll be before we get one back in America, but, you know, I wanted to go selfishly so I could be there and I could see it, but I also thought that, like, people, you know, from everything I've heard about it, people in America needed to see it in a different light, maybe, so that they can get pumped behind it, you know, because the only thing if you're just like kind of the casual fan the only thing you think about when six days is the is the poor riders asking you for money so they can pay they <laughs> for their trip you know and that's and I see why because it's, it's very expensive you know it's an, it's an expensive uh, endeavor for sure but you know that shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be the only news the only news on websites about six days shouldn't be you know somebody's donation there, you know. party or yeah, yeah I'm yeah, selling a t-shirt for think, <laughs> I, also you need to understand how good those other guys are you know, yeah. I think because I because one they need respect because the dudes are bad ass, like just awesome riders, and it it <clears throat> it doesn't reflect poorly on our guys if they get fourth.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, fourth is by no means you know a bad job. It's just
1: yeah, People get yeah. disappointed about it. You're know, like because you want your guys to win or whatever, but these guys are really 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 good and. And it's just, it's tough. So, yeah, I I hope everybody enjoyed it. You know, it seemed like the, you know, the the videos blew up way beyond my my expectations. Um, You know, I didn't really know what what I was getting into over there. But, you know, it feels good. Work hard and people enjoy it. So hopefully, you know, get to go back next year and maybe do an even better job. So we'll see.
0: More awesome. Uh, One of the things that I took away that was so much fun was meeting Josh Strang and the team Australia Boys. We did get to hang out. We had a nice little uh, three-bed room. That was cool. Um, I tried not to snuggle with Josh Strang in the middle of the night, but I was too tired, to be completely honest. Uh, And you were in the way. That was no
1: fun. Yeah, I was the buffer.
0: <laughs> he probably needed it. But those, uh, the Australia boys were awesome. One of the things that uh, I thought was phenomenal was uh, Glenn Carney. That guy split open his knee, I believe. I wanted. To, I think I got the numbers right. It was seven internal stitches and 13 external stitches. That's Sounds insane. Right, yeah. And he said that he kept opening up, kept riding, because of the fact that if he were to drop out, everybody had to finish every day because he would have been the one score dropped out if he would have houred out. And so he was like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to keep going. I mean, those are some, to use a cheesy word, those are some tough blokes. Like, whoa. I mean.
1: Oh, it, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, you got to give credit to everybody at the six days because it was pretty much the walking wounded by the time we got out of there. And that and that team is like the perfect example of like what it takes <laughs> yeah. to have success, right? So Toby Price had like three cracked ribs from the first day. Yeah. Rode six days with that. I think Glenn split is in the open on the third day. Third,
0: yeah, I believe that's correct. Right.
1: And, I mean, you can overlay the picture under this, can't you, or something? Because if yeah, people do to understand, yeah, sure. like, this was not just, like, a little cut. Like, this was like yeah, insane. <laughs> yeah, it was the entire width of his knee. And you could see his kneecap. And for starters, he did it and rode three tests that day and finished. Didn't even He knew his knee hurt but didn't know how bad it was until he got back to the pits and took his pants off. And then he got stitches then went back out and rode the rest of the week. And ha- kept having to go back and get his knee fixed up because it was he was splitting it back open. Like I can't even imagine yeah. any normal, any mortal, any mere mortal would have been like, "That's it, done." And no one would have thought twice because you would have looked at you like, "Yeah, dude, you shouldn't be riding a you shouldn't be riding a dirt bike right now." Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's uh, it's insane. You know, they actually used Glenn's score for the the last day. You know,
0: man,
1: because because and you, you see how important it ends up being. You know. Hollis crashed and broke his collarbone in, yep. the, in the last moto, so they needed Glenn to be there. Otherwise, they would have only had four riders there, and they would have been they would have been in trouble if Glenn had dropped out, and if Chris would have broken his collarbone, that that could have been the could have been it. So,
0: yep.
1: yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy what those guys have to do just to sacrifice their bodies and and do it for the good of the good of the team. You know, we, I mean, we saw Charlie do the same thing with his with his shoulder unfortunately for the american team he dropped you know 42 minutes of trail time or whatever yeah. on the on that day when that happened but he didn't quit you know and that's that's pretty much what it boils down to because if Charlie would have quit then if there was any other problems on the team then it's you're done so it's a yeah. uh,
0: And then, I mean, even like we even had, you know, Kirk Caselli first day had his crashes thinking he had a broken collarbone. We got Russell Bobbitt who had, he had a couple, like, I think he had like some bobble crashes, but then unfortunately that was, you know, wearing out his injured wrist. So it's like, you're right. I mean, it is, I didn't even think about it in the wounded warrior kind of fashion, but it really is. I mean, you got more guys limping around and hobbling (laughs) by the end of that thing than you do, you know, being able to ride them. Like they, they can ride a motorcycle better than they can walk pretty much.
1: Oh, it's yeah. It's just, you walk around in the morning and just look at everybody's faces, and you're just like, no. After day three, no one is having fun anymore. You know, it's just, it's a, uh, it's brutal. But yeah, you were talking about the Aussies. You know, everybody knows I'm, I'm friends with Strang and those guys. So I'm trying not to be too biased. But we talked a little earlier about kind of the vibe in the pit. Yeah. And there's no more bigger difference between the Australian team and like the American team. Yeah. you go to the American team pits, and it was so serious. Everything was so serious, and, you know, then you go to the Aussies, and those guys, it was just the complete opposite, you know. Toby's hobbling around, like, barely, almost crying because his ribs are hurting, but then he'll just start laughing and cutting a joke, you know. And <laughs> I think I think it kind of, you know, like, I think maybe that boils down to, like, the pressure and the expectations for, on that American team. Like, I think everybody kind of felt it, and if they'll admit it, I don't know. But it seemed like it was kind of like that looming thing all week was that this is supposed to be the team that does really well, and it got off to a bad start. And it was like, you know, Charlie looked like he was going to be the guy, and Taylor was stepping up, and then, you know, after Kurt's first bad day, and then, I think that has a lot to do with it, too, you know, the Aussies had a good start, even though Toby crashed as a team, they were doing really well, and that, you know, that relieves the pressure a little bit, you know. With you know, Kurt's supposed to be the backbone of the American team, and he you know, he gets hurt early on. That kind of you know, he's put you know, that kind of sets the end up setting the tone, I guess, for for the trophy team. And it it wasn't really
0: good, yeah. It was unfortunate to see that. I did get to meet Kurt Caselli, though, that was a big highlight for me. Everybody knows that I'm a big fan now, yeah, maybe. Lights complete. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if it's totally complete but at the same time at least uh, right now I've got 2012 done I could go to sleep and wake up 2013
1: yeah. <laughs> father to son and you, ha- and you met Kirk met like...
0: <laughs> shit has gone perfect this year <laughs> okay okay But uh, before we move on, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on with Kawasaki from what we understand it as of now. But before we do that, I do want to say thank you very much to Moto Tassinari. I'm repping their shirt right now, they're our sponsor of Seat Time. Can't thank them enough, if you want to add some more power to your bike, I'm going to come up with my own slogan, you should buy their product and that will do it. No seriously, those guys do a lot of work to make sure that your engine is sucking it and blowing it as perfect as it can to make sure you're going faster. Okay. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. com. Please go check them out. Thanks for your support on Seat Time. Okay, one of the things that did come across in the pits while we were at the ISDE while talking to different Cowie riders and things like that was that the possibility of the off-road team uh, being dismantled. Now, uh, rumor has it, uh, through some more reliable sources of Destry Abbott's Facebook post and some other things that people have mentioned, that seems to be what has happened. I haven't seen an official... Um, statement from Kawasaki. Have you, Hoop?
1: Uh, the closest thing is they, there was an article on Cycle News with some quotes from Jason Smeagol okay. c- confirming that it's going to happen. So it's a, it's a done deal. Um, it's a okay. bummer.
0: Yeah. Okay, so obviously that sucks. Now, uh, my first thing is, is, is it just at this point in time, is it just completely unprofessional and not cool to – to just not say anything, like you were talking about, like with what Suzuki did in your article that you wrote, they just Suzuki just didn't say anything. Oh Okay, you know, or official. Um, and at this point in time, everybody knows knows, you know, but there has been no official official release. Is that just an unprofessional way to handle this situation, or is it okay just because it's dirt biking?
1: <sighs> Man, yeah, I don't think it's a very professional way. I think it's, I mean it's obviously that they didn't make this decision overnight you know this is something that's been coming you know the writing was kinda on the wall you know it seemed like and from what I've heard now I think those guys at the six days pretty well knew what was going on they just weren't they really couldn't say that's kind of what I've what I've heard from talking to a few people so you know this decision's been made for quite some time by the time you know so it wasn't made official it hasn't really been made official yet at all but the news is all over the place so yeah I, I, I think at this point it would be a good idea to just, just put it out there because it'll end speculation You because know, that's all that's all that's going to happen now is everybody's going to wonder a bunch you know what's yeah. going on is it because of is it because of bike sales is yeah. it because they're in series that nobody's really paying attention to I don't you know and there's not going to be any clear answer and the longer you let the message boards run wild and all that then you know people are going to f- pick one story that's the best one and run with it whether it's true or not and then so if the you know so say it isn't the Villa Poto thing but that's going to be the hot story for now because kind of makes sense right dude yeah. just it's held a, out forever a got a whole bunch of money <laughs> and then the, the the off-road program's gone well maybe it wasn't that I don't know but if if they say it in a press release in three weeks from now nobody's going to believe it
0: yeah because then at that point they're just like oh we know what we don't want it to be so we're going to say it's not that right. yeah so yeah um, it, it is it is you know, you've been in the East Coast your whole life. You've raced in the Loretta Lands, all that kind of stuff. You've been involved with GNCC Race Productions. That, for a very, very long time, I noticed that you have a really good memory as well. So that's why it's good mm-hmm. that, I, <laughs> that I wanted to talk to you about some of this kinds of stuff because you've seen and you can remember a lot of the teams that come and go um, and how they enter and exit. And, I mean, is this going to be the continuous thing? Do we think that, you know, that there's going to be more Chad Reed-type teams? Or they're going to find a way to get maybe just a little bit of privateer help and it's like hey if we do really good can we work our way towards some factory support um you know how are we going to how are we going to move forward how are off-road teams and off-road racing going to move forward if there is no factory support i mean obviously KTM's there right now but where does it go yeah man
1: i i don't really know i mean it seems to be kind of the trend right now on the east coast we have a couple of independently wealthy people that are into it that are you know Wanting to start teams um i it's unfortunate that that's what it's come to but thank god those people are still around that you know that have been able to make a decent living for themselves and still have a you know have a passion for the sport and want to put back you know we, i think we kind of talked about this when we were you know we were on the trip you know 10 years ago off-road guys made a lot of money right. you know made made pretty good livings but then, you know, as the economy went down, you know, the salary started going down, the number of rides went down, but the people still kept racing. So for a while there, you know, the, the guys were making this much, but now they're making this much, but they didn't quit. So then the factories would figure out, all right, we're cool. We're just going to keep paying you. We're going to keep paying you this. We're not going back to what you made in, you know, 2002. Yeah. Because you're still going to race for us either way. And I think that's what's going to be the problem here too, is the guys are still going to race. You know, some of these guys might still race Kawasaki's. We've already seen some press releases about it. Well, if you're still gonna buy cowys from them and race them in the same series that they were supporting you in, it gives them no incentive to to support you. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's I'm I'm not an expert on this stuff, but that's kinda the way that's kinda the way I see it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, Cow, you paid me and gave me bikes for ten years and then you decided you're gonna bail. And I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna keep buying your stuff and keep racing with it anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think that's why you see like KTM's not gonna go anywhere because people are so you know they're loyal and the and the people are so loyal too. You know.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree, man. There are people like you. You there are people now that bleed orange when you know say in the '80s and '90s and stuff they would have they would have bled one of the other four colors. You know. But I think you see now more of a brand loyalty to KTM and I, I am one of those people now that have transitioned you know I was riding Yamahas for a really long time and I was like I'm going to try this I've been having some issues I'm going to try the whole KTM route and I, I couldn't see trying another bike it, obviously if I wanted to ride something I could throw a leg over whatever but I am I know where I'm going to put my money and it's going to be towards a KTM because I feel that they do, they give back the most um, just help and fun and you know good time I'm kind of I'm up in the air like I, I don't it's Just as like a er uh, like off road guy, I think I want to believe that it was the Ryan Villapoto fault, but it, I don't I don't think that he was like you know what I see an ability to rape Kawasaki for a lot of their money because I probably have a name that they can really use and want to have around. I don't think that that's the way it went down at all. Like I'm not going to say it was Ryan Villapoto's fault now. Maybe there was some of that to do with it because of the fact that Katie or Kawasaki was like, "Well, we want to keep him. We know what he's going to off- ask. We got to keep some money from somewhere," and so that was a really good place to put it. But as you stated, it was not an overnight decision. This is something that's probably been in the tank for a handful of months, if not more than six. Um,
1: yeah, you know, in the you know, big
0: tanks anyway. So.
1: You know, I mean, Cali's been kind of weird. You know, Paul Wibbly won the GNCCs in two thousand nine on a Kawasaki, and it was more of more or less a privateer deal. You know, that was they had big contingency that year. I don't know if you remember they had ten thousand dollars to win a GNCC. Jesus, <laughs> That's when David Knight came over and raced snowshoe on a Kawasaki, uh, yeah. it was twenty thousand dollars in one day because it was a ten thousand dollars snowshoe purse and ten thousand dollars GNCC contingency. It's like it was good, crazy. Hell of a good so, day. So, but anyway. I think it was like bikes and parts. I don't. I think was pretty much all that Wibbs got. He wins a championship for them. In the next year, they're like, "Yeah, sorry, man, have at it. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna sponsor you." Yeah. Like they had the number one plate. The dude won on a Kawasaki, and all they had to do was just you know give him some bikes and parts again, and he probably would have raced for them. But he ended up going and racing for Yamaha, so there's been some funny decisions made by by them, you know, and I don't know, my personal opinion, and this is based on nothing, no sort of fact except for just personal opinion, like, they put all their eggs in that works basket, you know, and there's not much going on out there anymore, you know, six, eight guys showing up for for a pro race, you know, the, the amateur fields are nothing like what they used to be, um, there's no TV package, you know, it's... It, it's not what it's just not the series that it used to be and poor Taylor Robert won the championship this year and there really wasn't much coverage about it there wasn't much fanfare there wasn't much to do about it and the dude's a badass and I feel bad for him about that but I feel like they focus so much on that and there's no return on that right now. You know eight years ago or something like that the work series was way bigger and if you put all your eggs over there then you know maybe you're gonna get a little bit more out of it but you know right now there's only a few series that you know that are getting any sort of love you know enduro cross you know that they're, they're on TV they've got to deal with the X Games you know they've got some manufacturer support you know, I think the national enduros are growing and obviously the GNCC's are on track to have one of their biggest seasons ever during all this and I feel like maybe they they missed the boat I don't I don't know that's my personal opinion you know I'm very biased I'm an East Coast guy I work at the GNCC's and all that jazz but you know I could see from Kawasaki's perspective it's like Alright, so we're going to go race works this year and we're going to race ourselves. We have three guys in a six or seven man field and no other factories racing. Does it make sense to send a semi and staff and all that stuff? And then when you figure, you know, the last few races, everybody was on a Cali except for Strang.
0: Yeah.
1: It kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. If the guys are going to ride the bikes anyway, why do you need to, why do you need to pay them to do it? Yep. I don't know, man.
0: I think uh, one of the deals, we also saw a little bit of flack about people saying, oh, it's not works. You know, it's a bad year in the recessions. And, you know, it, I, I kind of think we're on an upswing, and I think bike sales have probably picked up a little bit because of it. And, the thing is, it's like sure there haven't been a lot of pros that have showed up to works, but as you stated, there hasn't been a lot of amateurs either. And the amateurs is what, in reality, is going to make a series last because those are the guys that are bringing their families. Those are the guys that are paying all the gate fees. Those are the ones that are typically paying the pro purse. You know, it. it and those are the ones that are going to make a series money and make them be able to stay around. So, right. I mean, because you're you not going In my opinion, right
1: now, the two most successful series in the country are the National Enduros and the GNCCs. How many of the National Honduras sold out in like two hours? Yeah. Five or six hundred riders. People, like, the demand is there. And, of course, yeah, there's 20 dudes that are pros or 15 or 10 or whatever it ends up being. But there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of amateurs that are chomping at the bit to get there. You know, the last GNCC we had the biggest GNCC ever.
0: Yeah, that was was a hell of a day you guys
1: had. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it's just – and – I, I don't know. It's just so you have the probably it's probably the biggest off road race in America ever. I mean, if it's the biggest, gene, if it was the biggest gene to see ever, then Cali has no support there, no representation.
0: Yeah, you know, and but, neither does Suzuki, and really, you know, there's yeah. And Su- yeah like, I
1: mean, and Suzuki missed the boat too, and they're crazy. You know, yeah. And they were doing it on such a shoestring budget before, and they won a championship, and then they pulled out, which you know it was it was insane. But they had some serious issues going on over there at that time, you know with the whole racing program getting shipped over to Yosh and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's a it's a tough deal, man. I think that all the guys that have rides should be really thankful, you know. And then the guys that don't have rides next year, you just got four more dudes thrown into the pool that are good riders. You know, you got Taylor Robert, Bobby Garrison, Justin Soule, and Destry who all could possibly need rides next year. You know? <laughs> I, I know yep. they, a lot of them said they're still going to ride Cowies, and I've heard through the rumor mill that Cowie might do a one-off effort to help you know, help Taylor race works next year or something like that. But either way, there's going to be some dudes looking for jobs in a, in a market where there's not a whole lot of them left.
0: Yeah, it's definitely... It's going to be an interesting time, and I uh, hope for the best for all those guys. I, I just, last thing on it, I just hope that Cowie comes out and says anything. Um, that would be you know something official, and they do it quick because that's just the best way to stop all the rumor mills, stop all the forum crap, and just you know be honest about whatever it is that they need to be honest about. Um, Before we move on to talking about a little bit of the GNCC racing, again, another sponsor of C-Time. I have to say thank How you. How many to sponsors racing. do you
1: have? I don't know. Do you want to be a sponsor? What's the cost?
0: No, we'll talk about
1: that later, buddy. Wait, you still owe me money. I might already be sponsoring this You've, show. So, this sponsorship, this seat time episode <laughs> is sponsor sponsored to you by dude. digitaloffroad.com.
0: <laughs> I now know Jason Hooper. Nope, no. Nope, nope. I will definitely pay you. So, but seriously, <sighs> guys, digitaloffroad.com. Jason Hooper, the guy on the other side of the camera, he's the guy that runs all that stuff, does a lot of stuff with the GNCC racing, does the, post, the fly post show racing that goes on all the time over there. You get yourself some good news. I don't know. You might even see yourself a seat time link.
1: Whatever. Go ahead check them out. Thank your real sponsor. I'm just kidding. Yeah,
0: whatever. But that's okay because I got to say Fly Racing in there as well because they're a good sponsor of digitaloffroad.com. So Fly Racing, they are at flyracing.com. Luckily enough, the URLs work out well for all of our sponsors. They're pretty awesome dudes. They make some of the sickest shit ever. What? What? You're going to say it. What? You just...
1: Yeah. I do. That's good. I'm just
0: saying. Uh, what's really neat for 2013, they came out with the Hyperlight gear. I think this is going to be some really neat stuff. There's none of the plastic crap that can get in the way and get caught on everything. It uh, molds a lot better to sew some of your knee pads and all that kind of stuff. Maybe if you want to wear some plastic underneath your jersey, you know, much better that way. Hoop needs another beer. Um. Yeah, I
1: just asked for one.
0: <laughs> Come he's, on, feeling, woman. he's feeling sober over here. Help Come him out. <laughs> but, so FlyRacing.com, thank you very much for your support. Dale Spangler, high five over the internet. You're a great dude. We appreciate it. Okay, yes. So, moving forward, GCC racing this coming up weekend. we got the Enduro Crossover in Denver as well. But, Powerline Park, that is, uh, you remember some of the craziest shit. I don't know how you do it, Hoop, but it's, Awesome. So, you're, you're going to have all the scoop on all this crap. Wibbly's coming back. Wibbly's trying to win it. Andrew DeLong's trying to beat out Stuart Barley Jr. on the XC2 side. I mean, you can't really like predict anything, but what do you think's going to go down if you were to not predict anything?
1: Well, so here's the deal. Coming into last year, Paul Wibley had won three Powerline Park Jeans a season in a row. Pretty good. Then, last year, Caleb won and waxed everyone. Hmm. Killed it. All right. So, there's a chance of rain. There's all sorts of variables out there. You know, so, Wibbly rides really well there. Caleb rides well there. Um, Thad got second there last year. I don't know if you remember. It was that crazy. Wibbs tried to pass him in the last turn. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like insane. (laughs) So, Thad's riding some momentum, had his first GNCC win, killed it at the six days. But I know I mean I know Caleb's not very happy. You know, he's kinda losing the grip on this uh this championship. I think he's thirteen points behind right now. So I think it's gonna be a battle, man. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a Caleb, Wibley, Thad Duvall, Charlie Mullins showdown. Four way battle on the last lap. Nice. I don't know. I mean it it's it's a tough it's a tough one to call, you know. That track's got the it's got the big mud hole on the on the power line. Yeah, and, and that so, always can suck up so Anybody can, up, which can happen sense. there, and especially yeah. there's a chance of rain. You know, over the weekend, if that thing gets sloppy, you know, that's all all it can take is you know one bad line there, one lap, and you're stuck for 30 seconds or a minute or who knows. You know, I remember a few years ago it was uh let's see 2009. Caleb won his first GNCC championship. He already had it wrapped up there. First lap, his mom points him a bad line. He buries her up to the rear fender. Just steps off the bike, and it's just sitting straight up. Doesn't fall over. Just stuck there. He just walks off. And that was the first lap, and like something like that happens, and you're done. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a it'll be an interesting race, man. You know, for the series and for the championship, it would be better if Caleb won. You know, that'll tighten things back up again. You know, if Wibbly was able to get second, then we'd have an eight point championship. But uh. I'm sure Paul's not really hoping for that. So, right? <laughs> you know, I was talking with uh, I was talking with Jason Wygant about this earlier in the week. We were working on a TV show, and pretty much every year, someone has a bad race in the GNCCs. You know, last year Charlie was lucky enough to make it all the way until the next to last round to, at Loretta Lynn's when his bike blew up. Right. You know, the year before that, Strang made it all the way until the Ironman. He would already had the championship wrapped up, and he blew his bike up at the Ironman. So, you know, the championship was already over, but, you know, like historically in the 13 rounds, somebody has a bad race. Wibbs hasn't had one yet. He's podiumed every single round. Caleb had his Florida race, which was awful. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to play the odds here. Is, you know, is Wibbs due? Is he due for a bad one? Is that what's going to take to tighten things back up? Or is he going to be like the first guy that somehow, I was talking to Weigand, asking if he knows, has anybody ever podiumed every single round of the series? We couldn't think of anybody else that has, so it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, man.
0: I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I wish I could be there. I did. Uh, do you know anything else? Have you talked to people about the possibility of any kind of live, uh, live, live not just like live scoring, but like a uh, live internet broadcast? Yeah, yeah. There's supposed
1: the to be a live webcast, and I don't know any details other than I've had to send someone a couple commercials for it. So I'm assuming there's gonna be video, but uh, this has never been done before. So uh, finally, people using the internet for the awesomeness that it is. I just don't get mad if it doesn't work because right? there's always oh, I that. I will. I will. Yeah. I'm gonna be the
0: first person with some kind of blog post about it. Yeah. Because I have that ability to. Just... Well, I
1: didn't mean you. I just meant the fans in general not to get mad about it. But right. they'll probably get the bug straightened out on the quad day, and it'll be good to go for the. We bite. can only
0: hope. <laughs> if it's going to screw up any day, right? No comment. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, do you think that Andrew DeLong has a shot, I mean, at overtaking Stuart Baylor Jr.? Because Stuart Baylor Jr. hasn't seen, he, even though he was extremely fast at the beginning of the year, uh, he hasn't had as good of luck. He still had some wrist issues. Uh, DeLong's coming off of a good time at the ISDE.
1: Oh, do I think he does? For sure. And I think you can't forget Jason Thomas either. You know, is he I think still close in the you points? Know, like, uh, you know, DeLong is a pretty fierce dude. You know, on the podium at Unadilla, he was talking about, you know, when he started catching Jason Thomas and he smelled blood in the water. And he literally said it like that. He, like, He's like, once you smell blood in the water, you just can't stop. Like, the dude is <laughs> – he's the nicest guy, the most – Unassuming dude you've ever met in your life, but when he puts the helmet on and like the green flag, fl- green flag flies. I must have said something really bad there. That would have been awesome. Um, <laughs> it's just, the dude's gnarly, you know. He's just so intense, and and I I think he's got a little bit of an advantage over Stu. He's got a few years on him, so I don't think um I think he's maybe just a little bit more mature and he has a lot less pressure. You know, he came into this season with an injury. And no one expected anything out of, him. you know, you know he he missed the first two rounds rode at Steel Creek and got like seventh or eighth and then you know got a podium at Big Buck but he was you know sixty points behind before the before he even got to throw a leg over the bike so I think those are things that are you know working in his favor you know Stu he was like you know we were already ready to give him the championship after like five races in yeah. It looked like it was over. This thing's done. There are four races, you know. So, I th- and there's a lot of pressure on him. And not only does he have the XE2 championship, he's got the National Enduro Championship that he's battling for. So, I think think there's a lot less pressure on Andrew. Um, and then, you know, Thomas, you know, he's been so close so many times. You know, he's he's been taken down to the wire on it. He's the veteran in this class. He's raced it forever. So, I know. People it's easy to, you know, write him off in this in this championship, but he's right in the middle of it too. So it's gonna it's gonna be good, you know. I it's gonna go down to the Loretta's for sure. And then, you know for Baylor it'll be interesting to see. You know, if he doesn't have the National Enduro title wrapped up by then, he's gonna have to race on Saturday and then the go whole time to, he's out there at Loretta's
0: Go to Alabama on Sunday.
1: <laughs> the National Enduro on the back of his mind. So I'm sure DeLong and you know Thomas are hoping he doesn't wrap that thing up early. They want to, they want him to be the least amount focused as possible coming into that last round. So sweating it, been being intense, dude. It's this is this is pretty cool. You know, it's been a long time since we've. I don't think in the history of since we've had Xe2, if it's gone all the way down to the final round or not. You know, it's. For, and, and the bike in the XE1 championships. You know, we could have two champs crowned at the last round. It's been a while since then. You know, that would last be year. really
0: cool. Yeah, for sure. I'm just kidding, but seriously, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of good stuff. I've really had a lot of fun, um, kind of getting more involved with the GNCCs. Uh, just, I guess, pay, you know, paying a lot more attention to it before it was always just kind of like hearing how it went, checking up on it every now and again. And now I get the chance to really kind of dig in and really pay attention to it, and I don't have the memory that you do, but I still uh, enjoy hearing all the news and getting to watching all the racing as it goes down, so I'm hoping that there is a live webcast. Please, fingers crossed, John Ayers, make that happen.
1: God, he can do it.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Hey! Alright, well, this has been C-Time. I'm pretty sure that we've talked long enough that no one would even be paying attention anymore, except for guys like us, so, I mean, there might be more of them, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know yeah it's your that's show okay. Hey, man that's okay it's it's our show right now anybody, yeah. anybody who's on the show it's just part of it that's the way it goes down Seat Time is just like an umbrella we like to you know harness and care for everyone I don't know mm-hmm. it's getting weird okay so Seat Time Seat Time is SeatTime.co uh, is the website that's where you find all the shenanigans online we're on Facebook Facebook.com slash Time and on Twitter Twitter it's at Seat Time underscore CEO those are all the fun little places that you can find us now Hoop what are all your fun little shenanigans for all the crap you do?
1: Well, digitaloffroad.com is small- the uh, is the website. Uh, Facebook.com slash digitaloffroad or at digitaloffroad. Those are all those. If you want to bug me about something personal, at a hoop on Twitter. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Find them on the most public forum. Possible. Yeah, or you could,
1: yeah yeah, or you could email me hoop at digitaloffroad.com.
0: Ooh, get an email. Now you get some straight-up hate.
1: You can call me? Not really. No, I know
0: call him a son of a bitch is what you can call him.
1: Oh! Come on, man. I'm trying to set you up. I said you could call me maybe. Oh! Damn it! I
0: can't remember any of the words of that song, but man, that was stuck in my head the whole damn trip. Thanks to you in the I told you, I have no memory. It is horrible. It's what it is. All right, so... That was it. Episode We're 16.
1: That's offer a, Joe V.
0: I don't know who it is. Who is that? Tell us quickly.
1: Do you know Joe V? Joe Works for track bikes.
0: Ooh, no, I don't. Should I? You should. <laughs> all right. I'm going to get in all, all up on that stuff.
1: All right. Uh, at Joe V3.
0: Oh, there we go. Another Twitter handle. Everybody get on it. We need you to talk to people and find out and make shit happen. Okay? All right. I like it. Seat time. Always enjoy a pint full of awesome. J. Hoop, we really appreciate you being on the show. It's going to have to happen again, and we look forward to it. Make sure the post-race show, you throw out some, uh, some love to everybody who's
1: cool. Yeah, yeah. Will do. <laughs> I right, you taking do... 60 fucking episodes to have me on.
0: Well, it's, yeah, I mean, there it is. Now you're on it's a pint full of water tonight <laughs> so just you know whatever happens happens and it's recorded All right. so keep your clothes on if you want them on don't if you don't